0: You're listening to a 3CR podcast, created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthew.3cr.org.au. It's five o'clock on Friday afternoon... My name's Jacob, here with you on Community Radio Station 3, CR, and this is a Friday rave. Yesterday is Friday again, and I'm still up here in Sydney having survived the big storm yesterday and trying to work out how to get back down to Melbourne. But Friday means it's Friday rave and I'm here with you. On Community Radio, Radical Radio, 3CR, 855am on your AM dial in Melbourne or through 3CR Digital. The Friday raves also streaming at 3cr.org.au and available as a podcast on your favourite podcast app. However you're listening though, I hope you're having a good day as possible in these weird, weird times. Now it has been a few weeks for me up here in Sydney Town. I got here in June and stayed tonight on a mate's lounge only to wake up to lockdown. It seems that after I left the Victorian lockdown, I escaped only to get locked down again, and now I'm trying to get back down there for another lockdown. I feel like a lockdown groupie or something. Anyway, when I had, the lockdown was announced in Sydney, it was just for a couple of weeks, and I decided I'd stay and give some friends a hand, the campaign they were working on, and um, 110 days later, I'm still here, you know. Anyway, I plan on being back down in Melbourne soon. Um... So anyone who wants to hit me up for a coffee or attack me, as some people I want to do in these weird, weird times, I'll see you down there probably late October, early November. Now, what I've been working on while I'm in Sydney is with a crew called Justice Action on Prisoners' Rights stuff. Now, talking to some folks who've known me for a little bit, they seem, well, Not surprised exactly, but a tad confused, I guess, not knowing about that side of the work I've done over the years, particularly those who haven't known me that long and um, have known me working on issues like militarism and the intrusive laws that give the government more and more power than ever, and supporting folks like Julian Assange um, who get done over for exposing the truth um, about who these arseholes are. And somehow, you know, how can I put it? These assholes who want to gain ever more and more control over every aspect of our lives. But really, it's all the same campaign. You know, some years back in the 1980s, I was working against the arms trade issues, geez. And a part of make myself sound old, and a part of what we did was produce a little book called Australians Trading in Death and Destruction in the pre internet days. And um, what we, and by we, I mean our mob renegade activists, tried to do, what we tried to do was produce a list of every arms company working in Australia and government grants and all that kind of stuff to try to explain the complexity of the military-industrial complex in Australia. The concept was that in order to fight the masters of war, first you had to expose them. In fact, that idea was the open, you know, on the opening flyleaf of the book. And more to the point, the tagline of the book, it was on the back cover, was that at the heart of every just cause is the cause of justice. That's a nice little tagline such as people used to use in the 80s and renegade activists still use that tagline and you can check us out at renegadeactivist.org. Now, where was I? When we put that book together, we were looking for a printer. Remember that back then, in the 80s, even though photocopiers were of course around, they weren't the kind of thing you'd print a book on. We went to one mob called Breakout, a little printing house in Sydney, which was a social enterprise run by ex-prisoners. And they used that business to fund the work of their organisation, Justice Action. So yeah, Justice Action and I go back to, geez, close to 40 years. And while I've helped with campaigns over that time and have helped out whatever anti-military stuff and all the rest of it and the Assam stuff I've been doing over the years, this is the first time I've actually worked with Justice Action more or less full time you know and um, and but and, you know they have been helping us out they've been printing for us they've been doing all kinds of things for us when we went on the road the last couple of times we produced a website for the Assange Roadshow um I used the facilities at Justice Action to put that website together anyway this week on the Stick Together show which is a trade union show produced here at 3CR and, of course, available for listening at 3cr.org.au, I interviewed Brett Collins from Justice Action about the formation of the Australian Prisoners' Union. So you should really have a listen to that. The APU, the Prisoners' Union, has been around since 98, maybe 99, I can't quite recall. But right now, what we're trying to do is formalise themes by becoming recognised as an actual, you know, union. We've passed the first hurdle, but there is still more, more to come. Now, listeners will be aware from the little they've heard in the media and from different social media pages, there's a real bad problem with COVID rates in Australian prisoners. Uh, Australian prisons, the um, very nature of prisons being virtual petri dishes for infection, with infection rates running at five times that of life outside. And then you've got other issues like prisoners having health and mental health problems and overrepresentation of vulnerable communities, like blackfellas, for example. And you put this together with a couple of other factors. Firstly, that in mainstream society, people just don't really give much of a shit about prisoners' rights. Here at 3CR we do, you know, with shows like Beyond the Bars, Doing Time and Jailbreak, But out there in the mainstream, the prevailing attitude is along the lines, you know, they've done the crime, now they ought to just shut up and do the time, without realising that most prisoners are inside for non-violent crimes, sometimes victimless crimes, which are largely crimes of poverty and discrimination. And this attitude is bolstered by both the occasional news story of things going down inside prisons, and mainstream movies which depict prisons in a way that, well, that sell movie tickets. So this attitude doesn't really get mainstream society to put any pressure on governments to deal with things in any kind of positive way. you know. And then, of course, I've harped on to you for years about the securitisation of our society, the preoccupation with safety, the notion that every aspect of our lives needs to be protected by the state, not just from COVID, not just from China, not just from terrorists, but from nasty prisoners. You know, I've talked about, for example... All the anti-terror laws and all the laws that the Australian government, various state governments have put in place that impinge on our freedoms, that impinge on our privacy. Remember, they always use pedophiles and um, terrorists and serious crime to justify this. But really, we know that while they do use it for those issues, that is not the bulk of how these, um, laws, what these laws are used for. And the same thing happens in prisons. They justify the subjugation, the torture, let's call it what it is, of prisoners, you know, with the public perception that everybody in there is some real mad, nasty, child rapist, murderer, blah, blah, blah. But that's not, not the truth. So there's that public perception. The second Um, factor is the commercialisation and you know me, I go for the companies rather than the government, but the second factor is the commercialisation of government services. Now, you might think this is bad enough when looked at in terms of what we deal with every day, like education, health service, electricity supply, public transport, garbage collection even. Not to mention, of course, the way the private sector have control of the military, and more of that later. But in prisons... It's like all of the problems of privatisation are on steroids. I don't need to tell 3CR listeners that the role, the, the whole purpose of corporations, is to provide the best possible return to their investors. In fact, this role is enshrined in corporate law. So, with private prisons, why the hell should a company spend a dollar ten on the prison when they can get away with spending a dollar? And that dollar soon becomes ninety cents the private prisons in australia aren't run by standalone companies by and large they're run by multinational corporations that play roles in all aspects of delivering government services all around the globe companies like circo led by a pentecostal christian nutjob who got a heap of exposure during the paradise papers and panama papers i think about tax fraud and circo run everything from you know for government clients from water and telephone services to atomic bloody weapons establishments Serco have prisons in Australia and from what I hear from inside the prisons the one they run to some of the better ones then there's folks like MTC Broad Spectrum who run the Parklea prison up here in Sydney it's a consortium made up of the US firm MTC that's the management training corporation and that's the mob whose director a bloke by the name of Elaine McCotter um is the bloke who set up the Abu Ghraib prison in Iraq. I'm sure you've heard of it. You've all seen the image. And Broad Spectrum. Broad Spectrum who ran the concentration camps on Nauru and Manus for quite a while, as well as logistic support for just about every aspect of government and military service delivery. That's just two of them. So when you have a look at who these companies are, it's no wonder that their response to COVID in their prisons is not to implement a whole range of measures that every, you know, even the Tory government up here in New South Wales made available to them. You know, things like putting computers in cells, early release program for non-violent offenders, all those kind of things. They're not making use of them. What they are doing is locking people up in their cells for 23 hours a day. And now they're talking of mandatory vaccinations, after many prisoners were denied their request for vaccination since the pandemic started. And of course, some prisoners are what we would call vaccine hesitant. Now, you've got to understand that. I know there's a lot of talk putting down the anti-vaxxers in Melbourne and quite rightly uh, put them down myself. But in prisons, you've got people from really poor backgrounds by and large who are inside, who have been treated like shit by the government, by the justice system, by the prisons, sometimes for years, and then all of a sudden, after being locked in cells for 23 hours a day, they're told, the government just needs to stick a needle in your arm and we'll let you out of your cell more often. Is there any wonder that they're hesitant? Is there any wonder that they don't trust some prison governor to stick a needle in their arm? As I've said on many issues, the problem with the securitisation and privatising privatisation of our society is that when all you've got is a hammer everything starts looking like a bloody nail. Anyway in response to the legal abuses of prisoners rights right around the world and partly coming out of the fact that these have been undermined by um, the profit motive of private prison conglomerates one of the moves that has managed to take hold is the OPCAT That's short for the optional protocols on the Convention of Torture and Other Cruel, Inhumane or Degrading Treatment. Now, Australia signed up to the OPCAT in 2017, and it seems that five years later, from the 1st of January 22, next year, the Convention's requirement for monitoring procedures in prisons will be put in place, not just in prisons, but in places where, you know, people are held in mental health facilities, juvenile justice, immigration detention centres, all that kind of thing. Um, a monitoring process that's called NPMs, that's National Preventative, or Preventive Mech- Mechanisms, are going to be implemented that are mandated to report on conditions inside prisons back to the UN and um, also allow UN um, officials to come and inspect prisons in Australia. Now, where am I going with this? Let me think. The idea behind registering the Australian Prisoners Union is to give prisoners a voice and an avenue to play a role in the OPCAT MPM system, you know, with the concept of principle of nothing about us without us. Hopefully, by early next year, because I will not be in the tiniest bit surprised if the implementation of OPCAT is further delayed due to the pandemic, or let me rephrase that, if the pandemic is not used as an excuse to further delay it, At any rate, we hope that in the true spirit of trade unionism, we'll have a registered union in place to help monitor human rights in prisons. Now, why a union? Well, because prisoners are workers, not just in the political sense that they are 99.9% from the working class, but because they work while they're inside. And monitoring and improving working conditions wherever we are is the central core business of any trade union. And to date, prisoners are about the only classification of workers that do not have the option to be represented by a trade union. So keep your ears open for more news about the Australian Prisoners Union and um, listen to this week's Stick Together show with Brett Collins and I on another issue, I can't talk about it much, but we've launched a, um, a Supreme Court case in New South Wales where we hope to force the Department of Corrective Services, Department of Corrections, they call it up here, to implement some measures that they've been given the authority to do by the government. Strangely, we're in, we're going to the Supreme Court against the Department of Corrections so that they will implement government-mandated measures? Yeah, it sounds crazy. That is just how sick the whole thing is. But anyway, we're in the Supreme Court and um, there'll be more about that Incoming weeks, we've had a directions hearing and um, the trial starts next month. Yes, you'll listen to a Friday road with me, Jacob. Well, maybe you're not listening. Maybe you're stuck in a car with someone who is and you just wish I'd shut the hell up. Whatever, put up with it. MTC, that I mentioned earlier, um, the Management Training Corporation, um, doesn't just run prisons in Australia and the US. It runs them all over the world, including in the UK, including Belmarsh Prison. Yeah, Belmarsh, where Julian Assange still sits in a cell built for terrorists, administered by the company that built Abu Ghraib, waiting for the US to appeal the decision that the British courts made in January not to allow him to be extradited. Julian's trial, well, it's not really his trial, is it? He actually hasn't been afforded the little dignity that a trial gives you in the British justice system, rather it's the US's appeal, whatever you want to call it, moves up to the next stage on the 27th of this month. Now, while I don't put much faith in British justice, it's important we continue to put pressure on the Australian government to grow a set and call their newly minted AUKUS Forever Partnership together because it's related, of course. AUKUS is made up of the country that Julian's a citizen of, the country where he's being tortured and the country that wants him dead. And that's no coincidence for the Australian government to grow a set, I've got to say, and demand that Julian is allowed to return home or wherever the hell else he wants to be. Now, you've heard the stories by now how the US's CIA was illegally spying on him while he was in the Ecuadorian embassy how one of their um, key witnesses, a convicted fraudster and pedophile, has come out and said that he fabricated his evidence as part of a plea bargain, how there were plots to poison him, abduct him, a shootout on the streets of London, how to kill him, how the CIA took it personally, Pompeo took it personally, as you would, to be fair, after WikiLeaks published their operations manual in their Vault 7 trove, you know already that every single last piece of information that WikiLeaks published has turned out to be true, an unblemished record that no other news publisher can lay claim to. You know by now that the whole attack on him is based on the powers that be wanting, are needing, to stop the flow of information about what they're doing in secret reaching the people. The people it's claimed on whose behalf they rule. Supporting Julian Assange and supporting WikiLeaks is pivotable in every issue that plagues our profit-driven, war-mad society. Earlier in the show, when I was talking about MTC and broad spectrum, when I mentioned the military industry, some of the information on these issues to do with broad spectrum and MTC come directly from WikiLeaks reporting. I could not present the information I do on this show. Activists all over the world cannot present the information they do without WikiLeaks supporting. That is why the face of the way we do things has changed in the last 10 years. Now, for those listening who are in any way active in opposing war and oppression and, you know, supporting the environment, for Christ's sake, because a lot of WikiLeaks, I, I talk about the stuff about the arms industry and about surveillance and all the rest of it, but there's also so much stuff about illegal dumping, illegal fishing and all the rest of it. Whatever issue you're working on, you should remember that Julian Assange is one of you. So show your support and visit dontextraditeassange.com. I'm going to play a little clip from John Rees at the Stop the War conference held last month to mark the 20 years of the war on terror.
1: Now, I want to talk about one particular uh, case of uh, uh, civil uh, liberties, and that's the case of Julian Assange. Because... (laughs) Because if there is one voice more than any other who brought forth the truth about the war in Afghanistan and the occupation of Iraq brought it forth on a globally important scale, it was the work that Julian Assange did through WikiLeaks. I was there at the first press conference in the Frontline Club when those war logs were released. It was a bombshell. Not because we did not know what was going on, but because it had not been proved in such unrelenting detail as it was through those WikiLeaks releases. Now, we know what's happened to Julian Assange uh, since. He has been persecuted by the United States, imprisoned by the British government, and silenced as a critic of war and of corporate misgovernance. Now, I think that in this movement, we have to learn something from the American Marines and from the Army Rangers Of the United States because they have a slogan which is we never leave a fallen comrade on the battlefield well we are not going to leave Julian Assange imprisoned in Belmarsh it was in fact in this very hall and on this very stage that the Stop the War Coalition held one of the first of the rallies to support Julian Assange when he was forced into the Ecuadorian embassy. It was here that Jen Robinson, his lawyer, together with Tony Benn, Tarek Ali, Lindsay German, spoke up at the very first attempt to silence Julian Assange. And we won't stop, we haven't stopped, we're not going to stop now. It will be two years, two years, think about this, two years next week that Julian Assange will have spent in Belmarsh Prison on remand. I'll tell you what on remand means it means innocent, it means not charged and not convicted of any crime. Now, there is a principle, and it's a long standing and valuable principle in British law. It's called habeas corpus. It means that you cannot hold a body in prison without bringing them before a court and charging them of a crime, and if you can't do that, you should let them go. There is virtually There is virtually no prisoner virtually no prisoner in the British prison system that's been held without charge or trial for two years. And I say now to Priti Patel and the rest of them, let this man go. What you are doing is illegal, what you're doing is immoral, what you're doing is inhuman, and he must be set free. Now, Julian Assange has actually won one trial. The decision of the Westminster Magistrates Court at the very beginning of this year was that he would be a suicide risk if he were sent into the American prison system. He would be at risk of his life if he were sent to a supermax jail in the United States. That should have been the end of it. When that judge handed down that judgment, he should have walked out of the prison in Belmarsh. When I told Davis, da- David Davis, the Tory MP of that result. He said, well why on earth isn't he free and walking the streets? It's a damn good question and the British government and the American government don't have a damn good answer to it. So from everything we've learned about building the stop the war coalition, from everything we've learned about public campaigning, I urge you to follow Peter Brearley's advice. He had it exactly right in the last session about what the Stop the War Coalition does. It brings people together and organises them so that they can do things and achieve things that they could never hope to do separately. We don't have wealth. We don't have power. We aren't a great corporation. We aren't a government uh, machine. But we are collectively far stronger than we are individually and we can enable things to be done And for people to achieve things that they could never do separately. I've said it many times, I'll say it again here. Every great mass movement is a mosaic of small acts. So before you leave today, go over to the stall there... Pick up the leaflets for the demonstrations that are coming up outside the Court of Appeal where the United States are hoping to overturn the decision of the Westminster Court and drag Julian Assange to the United States to put him on trial for espionage when what he was really doing was journalism. Let's be clear. Journalism.
0: Now, just in the few minutes I've got left on this show, I can't go without saying a word about the latest AUKUS developments. And that's not about Tony Abbott in Taiwan stirring the pot. It's not about Scott Morrison stirring the pot, but some actual hard and fast things that are happening. Now, as I said, it's not all about submarines. It's it's about other things like troops and weapons basing. It's about building our military industry. A couple of days ago, Wednesday I think it was, Defence Industry Minister Melissa Price made the great statement, and I quote, Australia's defence industry has reacted to the AUKUS agreement as I expected it would. Anyway, and recognising that many SMEs, that's small to medium enterprises, working on the French subs would be a tad miff, to say the least. At the Lost Opportunity, she assured the defence industry community that there was going to be plenty of work for everyone and established a new dedicated unit within DOD, called the Impacted SME Support Cell. Can you believe that? The Impacted SME Support Cell. Something like out of a dystopian movie. It's to help affected SMEs not only redirect their efforts, but to build on them. she so reminded us that the defence industry wasn't just about subs, but that Australia is also engaged in a $100 billion sovereign-guided weapons enterprise, which is, outside of the subs, the largest endeavour that... Are, Department of Defence has ever undertaken. Anyway, um, to take as much cream, to direct as many resources as possible from the people to the military-industrial complex, the Defence Industry Minister will be speaking at the inaugural Defence Australian Industry Capability Summit being held next month in Canberra. Now, one of the benefits, I guess, of the pandemic, we all know the downsides, is that while I can't attend these events in the past in person, I can now log into the live stream. And you can too, if you promise not to vomit. Get in touch if you want to be. In other news, Dutton has spoken about the possibility of leasing US subs until ours are built, which he said would give us the infrastructure and expertise needed for when we do get them. Told you they were coming. Forget everything you hear about these things being 20 years plus into the future. And also, nuclear lobbyists have commenced to push, or renewed to push, I've got to say, for the development of a new local nuclear industry. The ANU have announced last week three new PhD scholarships for nuclear engineering. Um, former Chief Defence Scientist Alan Finkel is on the nuke in, is on the bandwagon talking, spruiking up the nuclear industry, as is South Australian nuclear greenie Ben Hart, who spoke last year about in a book about moving to a nuclear power industry and using nuclear submarines to get there. Now, even the Australian Workers' Union have come out in support of a domestic nuclear industry. What can I say? Meanwhile, as I'm recording this on Friday Arvo, there's a Senate inquiry into nuclear subs. It is sounding more and more like a door opener for a domestic nuclear power industry. But I'm running out of time. So next week, I'll get Dave Sweeney back into the virtual studio to talk about the whole gamut of nuclear issues arising out of the AUKUS announcement. That's all from me. Talk to you more next week.